You're listening to the Irish Times. Poor old Wes. Poor old Wes Hulan, Pat. That's how it goes. Uh, Wes, we hardly knew ye. Welcome to the Out of Time podcast. Malachi Clerken here with uh, Pat Nugent. Wes Hulan. I, I, I kind of think the end of the Wes Hulan era means the end of a final admission that we can't have nice things. <laughs> that we just break them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wes Hulan for years, he, he almost wasn't so much a footballer as he was the personification of an ideal that yeah. we had and basically if you loved the beautiful game you loved Wes Hulahan yeah. and if you didn't you were Giovanna Trapattoni and uh, <laughs> and you hated football and now we're left with not only no players but nothing to give out about yeah exactly I don't know what Eamon Dunphy's going to speak about from now on because <laughs> you can't see that his uh, the player that he described as his love child at one point on air that he won't have him to kind of bemoan that he's not on the pitch anymore. Yeah, they're going to have to wait for somebody like Jack Byrne to really come through and then be ignored for us to be, you know, have a co-celebrer again. It's true. Um, as a, a, a lot of people are looking at Wes's career now and kind of saying, oh, he, he was such a loss that, you know, we didn't use him properly and he didn't play one competitive game for Ireland in his entire 20s. And that seems ridiculous. But another way of looking at it is that for a guy who left Shelburne when he was 25 and and was completely ignored by one manager, he also um, went to a European Championships, scored in them and was arguably our best player for the duration of Clearly one, which was, is yeah. quite an achievement. And uh, he gave me a moment. I was behind that goal when he, when he scored in Paris. Uh, and I thought, well, I was there with who with friends, one of whom was in the toilet. Missed it altogether. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> the ball, genuinely, we were that close to behind the goal. Like, had there been no net, the ball would have hit me in the face. And uh, But my mate, who was standing beside me five minutes earlier, had gone, I'd go to the Jacks. There'd be, no, there'd be nobody there just at the minute. No. <laughs> All the way to France to miss the one, the <laughs> highlight of Wes Hoolan's <laughs> career. <laughs> Anyway, coming up in the podcast today, we've got uh, some Winter Olympics chat. We have one of our uh, Irish Olympic heroes over in Pyeongchang. Uh, we'll be talking to Tess Arbez, our slalom skier. We'll also have the fantastic Mary Hannigan in to talk about watching the Winter Olympics on TV. Um, but before that, we'll get into some rugby chat. Our uh, crack rugby team of Jerry Thornley and Gavin Comiskey are in with us this morning to talk a little Ireland-Italy. So let's get into it, lads. Uh, Jerry, I was wondering, I thought there'd maybe be a wee bit more experimentation with the team. I thought maybe we'd see a little Joey Carberry from the start. Are you surprised? Um, well, there was always like to be a few changes for this game because the one game that allows a degree of rotation, stroke, experimentation because it's Italy at home, coming after France away, tough game, he might look to rotate a little bit. And he has. He's made one enforced change and three other changes in the pack. So it's half the pack has been rejigged. Um, I never thought he was going to change the 10, 12, 13 axis simply because Sexton, Bundyaki and Robbie Henshaw, that was only their second game together last Saturday and they just need a bit more time together. The other game was against South Africa. They didn't play again that against Argentina because Henshaw was injured. So <clears throat> I think they need to establish some cohesion. Um Johnny's flying it, you know what I mean? He's, he must be on the high of all highs after what happened last weekend. And they need more from that midfield, more creativity, get the back three involved more. So they bring in Jordan Larmer on the bench, which I think is a clever move. It's a good game to hand him his debut. Everybody's very excited to see this guy play. 
and it could be that the game will open up a little bit in the last 20 or 30 minutes as well so we'll improve the team's potency so I think all in all I wasn't surprised by any of it no because people can look at the Italy game in various different ways mm. you, you can look at it as hey look this is a game we're going to win so throw in all the young lads and get them experience of the Six Nations or you can look at it as this is a game for as you say Sexton Aki Henshaw all these guys to to work through the things that they're going to need for the harder games yeah I think so and you know he's still having a good look at Jack Conan giving him a run from the start giving CJ Stander a rest. CJ had a huge workload last weekend. But looking at the back line, yeah, I, it, there was 68 possession, 68% territory, and no line breaks and no tries. And they never really looked like a try apart from that one time Poirot robbed the ball from Tyke Furlan about five metres from the line after about 15 phases. It never really looked like they are going to score a try. Conditions were, of course, a huge factor. But, you know, there, will, there could be holes and there should be holes at some stage in the Italian defence. England proved that. And this is the game for them to hopefully exploit those holes and run with a few tries. There is pressure on Ireland to score a few tries, there's no doubt about it, because, you know, Wales and England both dipped their bread last week, both scored bonus point wins, both have enhanced their scoring differential. And if it was to come down to points difference, as it has the two years Ireland won it, then this was the fixture where they have also mm-hmm. themselves dipped their bread. And we're in an interesting place, Gav, because we can, you know, the high of the end game last week hides the fact that had were it not for France giving away a few stupid penalties, we'd have been real trouble in that game. We we need to look at how England tore Italy apart as well. Ford Farrell is two at halves playing there, and that's what Eddie Jones has settled on. He always wanted to initially he wanted two Alagi, but he's never fit. Ford Farrell, all the major scores in Rome from England came from them, which we don't have. We don't have two at halves playing there. Robbie Henshaw is trying to cr- to be, make the yeah, the playmaker element to his game or the outside centre kind of thing to his game. He's brilliant and has to be found a place in the team defensively, but we don't have that him coming at lines and returning the pass to Sexton. And so that's, we're going to have to figure out a different way of tearing down the Italian defence, which we have, I have not seen evidence of yet from the current thing. It's bludgeoning a lot of the time. The subtlety, Bundy can come from him a bit, but at the moment, we, how we get the ball to the wingers in space to score tries is not, um, not abundantly clear. You spent a bit of time with Conor O'Shea in the in the lead up to this, um, and have interesting stuff in the paper with him tomorrow. You had, you had a couple of days with him, is that right? Yeah, well, I went in on Wednesday night and mm. sat down with him and spent an hour with him, and then um, I just went to training. They were training at Blackwood College, so I just drove in and watched it um, in my car because it was raining. Because um, also, what he, what he said when I interviewed him was, I was like, there's kind of a perception that you're more like who, Clive, Men- Clive Woodward, who was his mentor, you know, mm. at the very start. Uh, kind of more manager coach than coach. Um, and you surround yourself with, like Wayne Smith's coming in, probably the best coach in the world in the last 20 years, is coming into the Italian camp in the summer. He had Venter before the Springboks grabbed them back. He's Mike Cat. So I was like, you know, what do you do hands-on? And he goes, I'll be hands-on in Blackrock College next, uh, tomorrow morning with the team. I am the hands-on. I am. And he actually, sure enough, he was. He was, they were broken into their three pods. Interestingly, they were taking their place kicks. They were doing the line-out. And they were practicing the old up and under in the rain. All the mm. boys were practicing that one because it's going to be Conor Murray heaven. Mm. So they were prepping for that. And Conor was in the middle running the whole thing through. So he, he dispelled that myth. Um, most interesting thing about him is he's always interesting. He's staying with Conor O'Shea. Kills you with kindness and intelligence. So it, you're, it's not going to be, um, you're not going to get these, lots of people have tried from Kimmage to Shane Horgan to get these great lines out of him. And he just... He comes straight back at you every time. He knows what he wants to say to you. Yeah. He, my most interesting thing with me was, he goes, I, four years ago, because we're talking about the Italian project, I was like, how can this be successful? Like, measure success for me. 
will you have depth? And he, the, basically the message he gave me was, we will be successful after I'm gone almost. And like, we, will, we will have the depth of the 2019 World Cup to be competitive and all that. And he took me back to the Philadelphia Eagles. He goes, four years ago, I went in there and spent time with them. And they were so far away from being Super Bowl mm. champions. Now, things happen quite quickly in American sport and it can change. But after the summer tour in June, he went to the Brisbane Lions and he went, he talked to their coach about how you come down from being the Hawthorne coach to the Brisbane Lions coach and how you deal with the lower expectations. And it's about the small wins because they're not getting wins. The only time they've won, the last time they won away from home was in Murrayfield against a terrible Scotland team in 2015. They caught the Springboks in November 2016 at home. But that doesn't, that does, the value of that has decreased game on game. So it's, it's about the small wins and the small things. But they don't have the team to, they don't have the players to yeah. be successful. He's put in Steve Abood, who's not many people might know about him, but he formed the Irish Academies in the 1990s and uh, had enormous influence on a lot of the players who came through in the last 20 years in Ireland. And the first thing O'Shea did when he got the Italian job was bring him with him. So he's in. He's actually hands-on with Zebra. He's hands-on with the Italian 20s at the moment. My favourite thing about Connor, what he said was, he goes, the Italian 20s team that beat Ireland last year in the World Cup, actually, he goes, that's going to be our worst under-20s team in my time in charge. Okay. Um, and he compared it to his time in the RFU. You have to remember where he's been, Connor. You know, yeah. he's, he's, he's been in with the UK Olympics. He's been in with English rugby. He goes back to the Chris Robshaw under-21s team. And he goes, when we saw that team tearing people apart... And it was a brilliant team. It was Mike Brown. You can go through, look, if you look at the list of players, Haskell, and he goes, the RFU said that has to be our worst 21s team in the next 10 years. And that proved to be true. Whether they, they're, they're down and they're looking for them, but it does, it does an awful lot of work. So this is all success. very, very long-term stuff, Jerry. I mean, and probably won't really have much of an effect tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what sort of game are, are we expecting? I mean, the sort of easy shorthand for Italy games is, you know, they'll keep it tight for... 45, 50 minutes and then... Yeah, then that's, that, that, the, that's the, the dog-eared script. You know, I remember one day they turned up at Lansdowne Road and deliberately knocked on the kickoffs because we have a scrum in halfway, let's be having you. <laughs> and, you know, they put a lot of emphasis on their scrum and their maul and yeah. one-off runners and it was quite slow-paced. This is the complete opposite, actually, Malachy. They, they don't have a scrum worth talking about. They don't have a maul, judging by last week. It was completely denuded by England. They don't have much in the way of big one-off carriers, really. Parise passes the ball more now than I say he carries it. He passes it quite a lot. He's 35. He's not the yeah. force of your. Um, Sebastian Negri, the blindside flanker, gave them some good go forward last week. And Zani's come back into the team after two-year absence, won his 100 cap last week, and in the second row. So they have a fair bit of mobility. What they have is a very exciting backline. They really do. Most exciting young backline I've ever seen from this Italian team in Six Nations history. Loads of young backs. They've got, a, they've got their Jordan Larmer at fullback, Matteo Minosi. He played three, he's only 21 from Zebra. He played three games in November series, two at centre, one at the wing. They played him a fullback last week and he looked, looked like a natural born fullback to me. He's got footwork. He hits the line really well. Um, yeah, picks really good lines of running. Um, likes to counterattack. And they've got pace in the wing, Tommaso Benvenuti and Mattia Bellini. And they can re- reel some go forward in Tommaso Castello and Tommaso Bonney in midfield as well. They can get transfixed defensively. And there's, you know, there's a serious form of flattery he's copying and Ford Farrell worked the rap obviously a little Johnny Sexton play that Owen Farrell took back from the Lions tour don't they do it they do it even kind of sharper right on the line yeah it's really they? good like yeah. I, I was surprised some people were saying that Ford play, doesn't play flat enough he played pretty flat to me last weekend mm-hmm. and by the simple expedient of, of doing the rap a decoy runner be it Mike Brown or Ben Teo and then Johnny May coming around and then Lincoln with Anthony Watson they got two tries the first 11 minutes because 
the midfield can, can get fixed a little bit defensively. Pozzo was superb. Wasn't he? Yeah, 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 superb. But I think that could be quite exciting to watch the Italians. I think this could be quite entry, allowing for the weather forecast, which isn't too flash. But the real surprise to me, um, I thought um, Violi at scrum half was good, but it was Tommaso Allen. I couldn't get over how good he was. Kevin, he was throwing out three triple skip passes, inside pass, really varying his game, gave the pass for Bellini's try. Um, obviously, the Mike Cat influence there has been quite significant. Um, we're all disappointed that McKinley isn't in the squad. Would have been a great story. But um, um, Tommaso okay. Allen surprised me how good he was. I think, they're, I think they, you know, with a bit of luck, this could be quite interesting, could be quite entertaining. That's what Conor O'Shea said. He goes, look, I want to pick Ian McKinley. We know the Ian McKinley story where he was basically coming up behind Johnny Sexton as yeah. his understudy and, and he had a terrible eye injury and ended up playing through the ranks in Italy. Um, but Conor O'Shea said this week, he goes, look, for romance... I could, I should have picked them, yeah. But how do I turn around to Tommy Allen and Canna and say you guys aren't in because they're they're ahead of them in the pecking order? Interestingly, this Italian team, I think it is there to get wiped out because they've their front row, nineteen caps. There, there's eleven of their twenty three with nine caps or less. Very callow. It, this is the this is the beginning of the Conor O'Shea um, building blocks, and they this is one of the games where they're really ripe to get opened up. Only, uh, only three of the Italian team that played against England last year pitched up again in Rome last Sunday. It's quite an overhaul. A lot of their, a lot of good players. Yeah, they're missing a lot of injured players. You know, everybody went on about the English injury list, but the Italian list is actually quite extensive. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I wouldn't have. Um, I wouldn't see a hugely competitive game on Saturday. Really, and and do you think, handicap? think I didn't even look. Mm. Do you think from the start, or do you think it'll be kind of last twenty minutes they run in four well, or five well, tries? Look how we started in, in. Look how Ireland started in Paris, Jerry. Mm. Uh, we went straight for the juggler and mm. almost did. Mm. Uh, it was the, it was one of four entries into the twenty-two was in the first minute. Mm. We so we're off the top. Yeah, Bundyaki at the back. Stockdale coming around, link with her. It was very good. Yeah. It looked promising. Yeah, yeah. Stockdale and Bundy had a very good first half actually. He said that's what that's what the, the intent will be from Ireland again, and I think this time they'll. They'll do it. If, if Italy, they do have to lay it up. They have um, Goosen as their defence coach now. They've lost Venter. He's from Treviso. Like Everything when you talk to Conte, all the things that they're doing structurally and putting things together and fixing Zebre and Treviso are competitive now. And But it doesn't amount to anything. If, we'll see something in the 2019 World Cup. Mm. He's maybe They want to be the Pumas like the Pumas were in 1999 or something like that. But right now, this is a tough time for them. Pat has jumped in here to tell me that the handicap is 34 points. That's a lot. That's a lot. Well, look, it's, I actually think normally I'd be hesitant on that because the bench, things change. But look at the impact of this Irish bench. Mm. That was this what is, I was going to ask about next. That is that is one of the most impactful looking benches that, yeah. that Ireland have had in a long time. Mar- 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 Marmion's a runner. Mm. Like, oh, if you want to annoy uh, the Connacht set, just turn around and say Luke McGrath's the number two choice in Ireland and they go crazy on Twitter. But Marmion is clearly still in, in the reckoning there. He's a running machine, Carberry running machine, standard Healy, gain line. Healy Cronin. Yeah. Standard. Yeah. Three ball carries in the pack. And he's, he's obviously targeting the last 20 minutes. He remembers that four years he's ago. He's probably got his money on the handicap. Well, he remembers that four years ago, Gavin, that Ireland scored 19 points in the last 11 minutes. Yeah. And Ireland won the championship by five points and points differential. Mm. So I think they aren't going to go the whole 80 here. The crowd might have to be, might get a bit frustrated. It's yeah. 2.15 Saturday afternoon kickoff. Not a very nice day. They won't be as well lubricated as they might have been for a 5.30 kickoff. They, it might get a little bit frustrating. The Italians might surprise them by how competitive they are. Like, they were within a marginal forward pass of making a 2017 with about half an hour to go last week against England. Um, there was a diabolical decision by Joan Garces on the line. I think it was by him uh, for a, a knock-on by... Um, Bellini on the touchdown when he fielded a, a, a flood, a foul a penalty infield. 
England got an attacking scrum from that and pulled away in the last 16 minutes. So you can't, England got 19 points the last 12 minutes last week as well. So it could be that the crowd might become a little bit frustrated, but the key is that the team don't. And ultimately, you think they will pull away by the end, particularly, as Gareth says, with that bench. Well, let's just get into the the big game of the weekend is, is, is England-Wales, obviously. Mm. I mean, we spent a lot of time on, on our game, but, um, like, I'm looking at this and thinking England need to sort of knock knock the notions out of Wales pretty sharpish here. You know, Wales on a high, you know, they, they pulled a result out of out of the bag last mm. weekend. England need to sort of, you know, disabuse oh. them of the notion that they're, that they're in the Six Nations. Oh, hell, Eddie Jones. Um, or did you see his quotes? He went and had he attacked Alan Wynne Jones. You can't. The beauty of Eddie Jones is he will give you something on a test week to keep the whole thing stirring up. He attacked Alan Wynne Jones for getting trying to for disgracefully getting inside the ref's yeah, head in against Scotland and all that. Um, it was a complete storm in the teacup stuff. But uh, it whatever the narrative was that anyone else planned for, he just went and changed it and took control. But, it's the opposite of what Schmidt does. The what, what about the game? Like the game? Um, yeah. yeah. I, England are 11 point favourites I think in this game mm. and it shows you you know away wins are just hard currency in the Six Nations like that one last week in Paris by Ireland you know the, with the last play of the game was has been still the, apart from England beating Wales last year in Cardiff the only away win in the last two years of the Six Nations outside of Rome mm. they're very hard things to get um, and England are 11 point favourites they haven't lost in Twickenham in the Six Nations I think about four years Gavin isn't it they've only lost three at home in the last decade um, once to France but two to Wales um, I remember Warren Gatlin pitching up there in his first year with them in that, was, oh, that was an epic win epic win no Gavin Hansen won yeah with yeah. all the Ospreys players 13 of them or something this is the team found on the core of the Scarlets team and I was there in the um, the World Cup pool match when Wales were on the ropes against a pretty good England team it has to be said who pummeled them for the best part of 70 minutes but Wales like a dog with a bone wouldn't go away manufactured a brilliant try bigger kick was sensational that day it was a special night though. special it, night even, it doesn't even, it's hard to compare it to this yes. because it's the World Cup and yeah. the Wales just have to go that was the best them, game of the pool stages probably the Wales just have to do what they did they have to go Absolutely. again yeah. and uh, if they do we, we're going to we're always going it's always a test for a magical test match when these yep. two go at it yep. and tweaking them yeah so Wales just have to do that. I don't think they can be trying to be coy or go back to Warren Ball or anything like that. It's just express themselves. Yeah, whatever Warren Ball is, as he would often say himself when I was writing his book. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you it's know. Around, coming around the corner kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. do yeah. that against Scotland. You no, know? Yeah, just, just, just a little word on that. Like, you know, he makes the point to me in the book I wrote with him on the Lions tour that when he was at Wasps, they won three premierships in a row, a Heineken Cup and a Challenge Cup with Alex King at 10 and Stuart Abbott at a ball playing 12 as two creative fulcrums of the back line. And that's the way they played, wide, wide, wide. When he became Wales coach, he didn't have Stuart Abbott at 12. He had Jamie Roberts. <laughs> what do you do? Jamie Roberts is one of the best go forward inside centres. You're not going to get him to ever get him kick to the corners. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, um, but certainly showed in the second and third test, he's quite willing to mm. go for a 10-12 playmaker dual role. Um, it was predicated in the first test because Ben Teo didn't pass the ball once. Interesting, he's not in the starting team. I think... Yeah, Jamie Joseph's back in. Yeah. Jonathan Joseph. Jonathan Joseph. And he'll give them... More of an outside threat, won't he? And it's a great English backline. It? it is a, a stunning English backline. And Ford and it's, a, it's a real test of England, though, isn't it? Yeah. Get, it? get this out of the way. You know, Wales are coming with a bigger challenge than people may have expected, say, eight days ago. And grind, Wales are going to grind them down. It's, yes. We're going to twicken them here. Mm. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Swing low, sweet chariot, maul, maul, maul. Really, really overpowered. And they've got the, the real ballast up front, I think, in. You know, Billy Vinopolo and, uh, sorry, Mako Vinopolo and uh, mm. Maro Toje. Courtney Law's in the back row. Mm. Like, he's a hell of a good carrier. Yeah. Um, I, you'd imagine they will just do a little bit of a number maybe on them up front. 
and that will be the difference. But they do have the backs, of course, Gav said, like the Ford Farrell combination. And it's hard not to believe that Wales won't miss bigger for this one. Will Reese Patchell be as good at Twickenham? You know what I mean? Yeah, I want to see what he's like. Yeah, it's going to be a big test for Wales. Um, the only thing you say about Wales, if any team can go to England and take blow after blow and still be standing with 10 minutes to go, yeah. it is the Welsh. And they are a momentum team. You know, we talk, I don't know if we talked about it last week. The, throughout the noughties, they generally oscillated between fifth and sixth place or first. Or first, yeah. That's, get them, and that's get kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, that, if they that, get a bit of a run. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. England need to put that, put that out of yeah. their heads very early, get it done, mm. get them, you know. Yeah. They, Wales shouldn't be in this place with, with the amount of injuries that they have. With They really, you know, nobody was predicting what they did against Scotland. So England need to get their, their momentum, stop it at source and get, mm. it, get it out of the way. I think the uh, the local uh, pub owners and hoteliers will be disappointed that it's a two fifteen kick off in the Aviva because <laughs> you don't get much traffic in before the game. No, but my goodness me, are they going to be flooded afterwards? Because you know, Lansdowne Clubhouse, Sandy Mount, Ballsbridge, all the all the pubs around there are going to be full of fans actually watching this game. Yeah, yeah. Listen, good. lads, thanks, Marion. We didn't get on to Scotland, France, but sure, that's fine. We can talk about it some other time if there's a big result in it next week. Thanks very much, Jerry Thornley and Gavin Comiskey for coming in. In the Irish Times weekend, it's a special love issue of the magazine. Ghosting, zombieing and submarining. Familiarise yourself with the latest dating trends. Psychologist Morning Gaffney examines how and why we fall in love, plus we explore love in all its forms. And in Ticket, Sebastian Barry talks to Mick Heaney about Anne Enright, winning awards and writer neurosis. The Irish Times weekend, your weekends in good hands. Okay, Pat, so what else are we going to be watching this weekend? There's a full round of fixtures in the Alliance Football League this weekend. The hurling has taken a break. On Saturday night, uh, Dublin are taking on Donegal in Croke Park. That one's live on Air Sport. And on Sunday, Galway versus Mayo in Pierce Stadium. And that one's live on TG Cahar. And But you can see all the Division 1 games this weekend because TG Cahar are showing deferred coverage of Monaghan Kerry and Kildare Tyrone. And Kildare Tyrone, even though we're only two games in, it already is shaping up. You can legitimately call it a relegation battle game. Relegation six-pointer. I, I, I know it's a, a four-pointer, four but pointer, the yeah. term is a six-pointer. I think it's we can allow that it has passed into the English language. Um, yeah, like it's a bit, it's probably a bit silly, you know, to be talking about it this early on. But I, I often think that the third game of the league in a seven-game league uh, kind of starts... It puts a shape on what the rest of the spring starts to look like for you. And especially with two teams like this who've lost their first two games. Um, I actually, I did some stats on it during the week. Um, teams that lose their first three games. So wonder if, if, presuming this isn't a draw, one of these teams is going to be have zero points after three games. Um, this decade across the four divisions in the league, um, 18 teams have lost their opening three league games. And of those 18 teams, 14 have been relegated. So that's, it's a terrible way to start. And it's a long scrap to get out of it. If you have, if you start 0 for 3, you have four games left to, to basically get five or six points. So you've got to go, you can really only afford one defeat after that. Um, so for both Kildare and Tyrone, and there's a few other teams this weekend, you know, Donegal uh, will probably end the weekend with three losses You know, losses we all presume well. that Donegal will lose to, to Dublin tomorrow night. Uh, Donegal are unlucky to be, you know, no wins after two games or certainly zero points after two games. Um, they kind of threw away a lead against Kerry and and only lost by a point last week as well. So it's tough on them to be having to play at Dublin now, but it's it's 
reasonable to assume they'll be 0 for 3 after the weekend. Down the divisions, Derry and Offaly are playing each other in Division 3. They've both lost their first two games. Wexford are playing Westmeath. Louth are playing Cork in Division 2. So it's a big weekend for those teams. you gotta, you, you got to get a point on the board after after three games. Because apart from you know being sort of behind the eight ball points-wise, you're also like... Morale sinks when you when you lose your first three games of the year. All the all the stuff that you said to each other over the winter, all the preseason stuff. You're coming into training on Tuesday night after losing three bloody games. You know it's a long way. The the year looks long ahead of you after that. It shows though how cutthroat um, Division One is at the moment. Galway actually won- have won their first two games, so you can say that they're off to a flyer. But they're playing Mayo on Sunday. There's a decent chance that Mayo will win that game and then Galway will end up playing Kerry and Dublin. They could lose that as well. Yeah. And suddenly Galway are in a relegation battle as well. Big time. You're you're there with four points and two games left to get one more. Generally, five points keeps you up. Four points, depending on your points difference, will, will keep you up. I think I'm, go- I'm down to go to the Kildare-Tyrone game on Sunday. I'd be interested in that. Kildare are an interesting team in that you know, Kane O'Neill is definitely building something there. They're definitely getting themselves into some order to be able to challenge the dubs at some level, somewhere down the down the line in Leinster. But their big weakness over the last couple of years is when in their biggest games they have failed against blanket defence teams. In the Division Two final last year, uh Galway pulled a total blanket defence on them and it actually, Keane O'Neill said afterwards he, he was actually taken a bit of back by it, got a little bit little bit outmaneuvered by it. Um, but they beat them. Uh, Armagh in the qualifier, uh, the Saturday night qualifier last year, one of the best games of the summer, one of the most enjoyable ones I found. Armagh had been playing a reasonably attacking game all year, had been keeping four forwards up. This time they just dropped everybody back and kept Jamie Clark up. Now, Jamie Clark had an amazing game. But... Kildare lost that again and it's an interesting thing they're playing against Tyrone now on, on Sunday Tyrone seem to be you know sticking with this idea sticking with their way of playing Kildare need to work out a way to play against it because if they're going to be runners up in Leinster they're going to be one game away from a Super 8 it's a good chance that'll be against a, a Monaghan or a Derry or a Donegal or well maybe Donegal won't be have such a blanket defence, but they could be against a sticky old Ulster team for a game to get into the Super 8. And Kildare need to be in the Super 8 this year. They absolutely need to be one of the teams that get in there, get those games against big teams under their belt, because that's what's going to propel them to be able to deal with Dublin at whatever indefined point into the future. So their game against Tyrone is going to be interesting now on Sunday. I suppose if you need to prepare yourself for dealing with blanket defences Tyrone are then your kind of ideal opponents in a way. Well, especially yeah, like they are they are the the ultra point of it. You know, they they want to sit in, they want to Mickey wants to keep playing this way and show that that it that it can be done, that that it's still a viable way to to go forward with. So we'll see how it works out. Um it'll be an interesting game, I think. Um so beyond that, that's uh for Saturday and Sunday, but uh before that we're going to be doing a little bit of Winter Olympics, and we'll start with this. And that other one the, uh, that I love is the luge. You know the luge where the guy wears the slick suit? This, one, this is on the bobsled run, but it's not even a sled. It's just Bob. It's just, 
a human being hanging on for their life. This is the whole sport. Just, ah. Oh, he pointed his toes. Oh, this guy's a tremendous athlete. The luge is the only sport I've ever seen that you could have people competing in it against their will, and it would be exactly the same. You know, if they were just grabbing people off the street, hey, 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 what is this? I don't want to be in the luge. You know, you put the helmet on them, you wouldn't really hear them screaming, just, you're in the luge, buddy. World record. Didn't even want to do it. Mary Hannigan, how are you? I am very good, Maliki. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming in. Not a bother. So we decided that part of our way of talking about the Winter Olympics is to talk about it as a televisual event. Because I think for however long it goes on, for a fortnight every four years, we in this part of the world who don't really get it, really get it for two weeks. Because we watch it on TV, we're instant experts, and we think it's a bit of crack. We do. And I, I was thinking, listening to Jerry Seinfeld on, on the luge, like if you look through the list of winter sports, there aren't that many in, in the Olympics. I think 14, 15, obviously lots of disciplines within each, but they're pretty much all life-threatening, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> part maybe from figure skating, curling. It tends not to be life-threatening. It'd be tough to uh, lose your life at curling. Uh, yeah, although figure skating, as was Nancy Kerrigan would say, there, there are dangers <laughs> attached to, to that too. But yeah, if you look through like bobsleigh, luge, skeleton, ski jumping, downhill skiing, slalom, snowboarding, you may not be alive it's all, at, at it, the end it, of it. It's all a war against gravity. It really, really is. Yeah, and, really is. and gravity has a bit of help on its side because it. the underfoot conditions are unstable. This is it. And I, I was reading, um, there were a couple of interviews recently with Patrick McMillan, the skier, mm. Donegalborn skier. And uh, clearly, I, he, I presume he's representative of, of the breed that just the more dangerous it is, the more he loves it. <laughs> yeah. And he had a hellish crash a couple of years ago in training and 100 kilometres an hour um, and you know, finally stopped tumbling down the mountain First thing he did was felt his knees to see were they okay. Were they there? Were they there? Yeah. And they were present, so he was <laughs> mightily relieved. Then went to get up and felt fairly serious pain down his back. So it kind of felt, you know, checked what was happening. There was a bone jutting out of his shoulder. Mm. And he didn't seem to think this was a serious issue. His knees were okay, so he was happy. There's a photo of him in hospital. He looks like a mummy. There's, you can barely, just about see his eyes. He is just wrapped in bandages. But he's thumbs up and a big smile because yeah. his knees were OK. Hey, and now he's gone to the Olympics. He's, so, he's, you know? he's laughing. He's Indeed. loving it. Um, so, yeah. I, I have always enjoyed watching the Winter Olympics right. because some, some of the events are mad. They they're, are. Just, they're just kind of gas. They're like the... The, the snowboard cross and the ski cross yeah. are insane sports. They are, they are. And I love the fact, my favourite snowboarding one was that guy who tested positive for um, cannabis. And I, I would have thought... <laughs> Just because he was the only one that they tested, I'd say. <laughs> I would have thought you'd be thrown out of the snowboarding community if you didn't <laughs> test positive. Um, and the best thing with him was that he appealed it and 
eventually got his medal back because they kind of accepted that cannabis wasn't performance enhancing. Mm. And brilliantly, he now has a kind of a business around cannabis, which strives to show it is performance enhancing. <laughs> so he may lose his medal again, you know, if he succeeds. In I that. love the idea so, of, a, of a, a stoner uh, appealing. I mean, surely the appeal is just, dude, dude, come on, it's well, snowboarding. If he was stoned when he won his gold medal, he should get two gold medals. Hey, okay. listen, I covered, I was in Sashi four years ago uh, covering the Winter Olympics and I've never felt as old or as square in my life as when I covered the... Uh, the winning the gold medal press conference of the women's snowboard cross, a Czech girl called Eva Eva Semenova, I think her name was, um, sat on the podium. She had won the the gold medal, and uh, it was only then that I noticed that she had a red, white, and blue uh, moustache painted onto her top lip, like you do, like you do the, che- the Czech Czech flag colours, and. Uh, uh, the press conference went on for a few minutes and after a while I realised nobody's going to actually ask about this moustache. Is this this a thing? And so I, the squarest person on the mountain, said, um, "Uh, what's the story about the moustache? And she looked at me with pure pity and said, I mean, it's just a regular moustache. That was her answer. It's just a regular moustache. And as if... I'm supposed to take that as red. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's a totally different breed. Yeah. These people and the, like the amount of them that get hurt, the amount of them that fall, everybody falls in the snowboard cross. Like there is a, a an argument to be to to be said that you let people go off in front, yeah. wait for them to fall and you go on through. It's <laughs> such a lottery like Insane. And it, it it's terrifying, utterly terrifying. <laughs> I spent most of the Winter Olympics like behind a pillow. Um, it, Except for the curling. The curling looks, well, now, it was a safe sport, but now we've got mixed curling for the first <laughs> time. So anything could happen. So I, I was re, I'm now an authority on mixed, I've been researching this. Um, I expect nothing less, man. Right, yeah, intensive research. I read one article in the Washington <laughs> Post. So apparently this is all part of the IOC's push for gender parity to introduce mixed events in different sports. So curling this time. Very topical. Boys and girls curling together. And now, you know, if all the men are skips and all the women are sweeping the floor, I think that could Mm, damage the gender parity thing. Yeah. But of course, the question is, why hasn't it always been mixed? It doesn't look like it's a strength kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. It looks more like skill and judgment. But Canadian curling has done intensive research into this issue. And did you know there is a thing called curling IQ? I did not know. It would not surprise you to know that I did not know. So the research disappointingly has found that male skips see angles and shots that female skips don't. This is controversial. (laughs) And they can anticipate three or four shots further ahead than a female skip. A bit like chess. Sure. Yeah. Because girls can't play chess either. Well, this is uh, this is alleged. So the person who's doing this research is a woman and she's really disappointed with her findings <laughs> desperately. So they're now working to this now. is all Surely, surely if she had the IQ, she would have seen ahead and <laughs> realised that she would have been ended up disappointed with so it. So this is true. She didn't see ahead. She, if she had seen ahead, she just wouldn't have carried out this research because it's banjaxing the whole gender parity thing. So, um, yeah, so Curling Canada 
is now working to develop, this is all lifted from the Washington Post, I have to concede, uh, are working to develop a metric that assesses curling IQ. Mm. Now, I mean, what do you do, though, if a lad sees three or four shots ahead? Mm. I mean, how do you fix that? I, I don't know. Well, I guess if you have a high curling IQ, does that mean that you get to skip ahead a, a year at school? Skip? Was that a indeed, yeah. indeed, a mm. year at school, so yeah. so that you 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 know the the smart kids get to move up, the lower yeah. curling IQ kids get left behind. Yeah, I I'd stick with school though because I was looking <laughs> at what the average professional curler earns, and mm. um, I think you need to stick with school, like just outside the top ten. I mean, you could be eleventh in the world and have earnings of like about a hundred quid or something <laughs> like that. So I just wouldn't push your kids into curling. Well, I'm just wondering, is, 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 does that mean there's a huge drop off from being 10th in the world or does 10th get See, you up to like 200? 10th apparently, like if you're really rich in curling, you're earning about 60,000, which is, well, is OK. You know, we'll take that. But it's not quite like Neymar kind of <laughs> levels. It's not really, no. So I, I, I get your kids to keep practicing their keepy-uppies <laughs> rather than their, their sweeping and, and all of that. So yeah, it's disappointing that in the push for gender parity has now emerged that males are just inherently superior to women when it comes to chucking stones down ice. Don't hate the player, hate the game, Mary. That's all I can say. Just patriarchal tyranny on the ice. Well, it's great to have you in the studio, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, thanks a million. We'll be watching plenty of it. I know it's on in the middle of the night, but uh, we'll catch some in the morning, catch some in the highlights and some the odd night. Uh, Thanks a million for coming in, Mary. Not a bother. Thanks, Malachi. Cheers. Tess Arbe is one of our Olympic skiers over in South Korea. Uh, she joins us on the line now from the Olympic Village. Tess, tell us how you're getting on over there. What is the setup like? So uh, I think uh, this is an amazing uh, village. We have lots of things to do. There is a, a game room. There is uh, a, a lunch room. There is uh, laundries. It's, it's like a big city, you know, only for us. And uh, I ran training almost every day. Um, I did giant slalom and slalom. Uh, the weather is really, really nice, but it's a bit cold, but it's fine because the snow is really good then. And uh, I went to the gym because there is a gym too, so there's lots of things to do. We can uh, hear from your accent that uh, you're probably not from Tipperary. Could you tell us a little bit about your Irish connection? Yeah, so uh, my dad is French, that's why I have a little French accent, but my mom is Irish. So she's from Dublin, from Blackrock, and mm-hmm. then she moved to France when she was 10 years old. Uh, so that's why I'm half Irish and half French. Splendid. And you have been supported by Snow Sport Ireland and Sport Ireland uh, going back a few years at this stage, isn't that right? Yeah, I think it's my fourth year of racing for Ireland now. Your fourth year. Excellent. Yeah. Qualifying for the Olympics, was that a, a long journey for you? Yeah, that was it. Was a really long year. We had um, 18 months to qualify, so it was really long because uh, I was qualified uh, quite early. So I have to be, you know, uh, still skiing for training, but I was still scared, you know, of getting any injuries and kind of thing like this. So it was a really tough month uh, that I passed uh, last month. Injuries must be part and parcel of the sport. Have you ever had anything particularly bad happen to you? No, never, never. I had never injuries, so that's why I was a bit scared, you know, like maybe <laughs> I'll 
this can be happened just before the Olympics. <laughs> Tell us uh, a little bit of the difference between uh, giant slalom and slalom. I know visually what it looks like, uh, but on a technical side, from your point of view, what is the difference? Yeah, so um, the giant slalom is the more technically uh, discipline. Uh, it's uh, from 25 to 30 meters between the gates. And in slalom, it's like around 10 meters between the gates. So you have to move your feet very, really fast. And it's giant slalom, you have the time to, to think a little bit, but it's more technical because you have more speed. Indeed, and you have more time to make mistakes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And to think about what you have to do. So I think it's the more technical one. Thinking is not good at that speed. No. <laughs> and do you prefer one to the other? Uh, yeah, I do prefer Giant Salam because uh, I'm a little bit better and I don't know, I feel it better, you know. I, it's just easier for me to do Giant Salam. Coming to your first Olympics must be a pretty daunting thing to, to happen to you. Yeah, and I think I'm I'm still young, you know, to realize that I'm the real Olympics. Cause in my in my sports, they all have like 25 or 30 years old. Mm. So I think I think I can realize that I'm really here now until the the races probably. And have you set yourself any target? Uh, not really. I, I try to do my best, but I don't know. Maybe top 50 or I don't know. I, I just want to do my best and finish both races. Because the idea, especially with, with somebody as young as you, and, and I know with some of your um, teammates there, I know, say, Seamus O'Connor four years ago in Sushi, the, the yeah. idea of your first Olympics is is that it's your first Olympics, that this isn't the end of the road, this is the start of it. Yeah, that's just the beginning, I think. So I think this one is, you know, to realize uh, the job that we have to do to to be an Olympian and yeah that's just the beginning so it shows you how you have to work and and for the next one. When are your uh, events? Uh, on Monday and Wednesday. Monday and Wednesday and so it's all training at the minute is it? Yeah uh, I, I just trained today and tomorrow I'll have a rest day. I've heard from uh, a lot of people, it seems weird to be talking about the, the big talking point at the Winter Olympics is the cold weather, but uh, you even mentioned it there yourself. Uh, does it have an effect on, on training? Um, I think that when it's cold, you know, the snow is better because it's harder. Hmm. But sometimes, you know, I just can't feel my legs anymore because it's really, really cold. So my coach brings my jacket and everything on the chairlift. So that's not a problem. Wow, and your your legs get that cold that that you need to. <laughs> I would imagine uh, numb legs aren't uh, helpful in skiing. Yeah, I would prefer maybe ten degrees more, but I think it's fine because we have an amazing snow here, so it's it's the job, you know, to to get cold in the skis. Uh, and what will you do at your rest day tomorrow? Um, I'll probably go to the gym, run a little bit, do a few, you know, jumps and squats. And then I have to prepare my skis because I, I prepare my own skis alone. So that's a lot of times too. Excellent. Well, listen, enjoy your weekend if you can. I hope the nerves don't get uh, too heavy on you and uh, ski well on Monday. Thank you very much. Tess, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to everybody who was on the show today. Thanks to you for listening. Uh, get in touch with us if you want to, if you can. Contact me on Twitter at Malachi Clerken. Contact us at addedtime at irishtimes.com on email and we'll see you next week.